0: What's up everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 podcast. Will Brinson here, your host for a daily NFL journey that lasts between 30 and 45 minutes. Usually we do a targeting 30, but you know, sometimes we get a little off the rails. We do that a little bit today. That's fine. It's because Danny Kelly of the Ringer joins us to talk about the Seahawks. Danny knows football really well, knows the Seahawks really well, and We had an awesome conversation and it got closer to 40 minutes. I don't know what to tell you. I wasn't going to stop it short. I I did realize that I I say Danny like uh, Ty Webb from Caddyshack. So I I don't know what to do about that. Um, Just a a point of notice. I don't know. Um, Anyway, next week we are going to have a show on Memorial Day. Chris Chapasso and I have already filmed it, or recorded it, I guess. We didn't film anything. We were talking on video and drinking beer together. Uh, We were going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and the 2019 NFL Draft. So if you were traveling on Memorial Day or planning doing some yard work, grilling out, whatever, refresh your podcast app. We'll have a new one for you. I will also have a show recorded on Tuesday, TBD, who that's going to be. And then I think Pete Prisco is going to fill in all next week while I'm gone uh, snorkeling in the Caymans. Thank you for your support of the Pick Six podcast. Let's uh, let's get down to business. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. A little bit of news out there, not a ton. Uh, Patriots and Rob Gronkowski, according to Jeff Howe of the Boston, oh, excuse me, of the Athletic Boston are working on a new deal. We'll be close to locking that down. Gronk will be back in time. He'll get his money. He will play. As Pete Prisco pointed out on CBS Sports HQ, it was all a part of Gronk's master plan, and it worked out very well. Richie Incognito stuff, really bizarre behavior from him at the at a Lifetime Fitness gym in, in, in Boca Raton. He. Th- I don't know. I mean, he thought he was like being followed by the cops and the NSA. It's weird. Go read the story. It's very bizarre. We, we have the police documents and the 911 call up on com. NFL owners reportedly didn't vote on the anthem rule. They were just briefly polled like a straw. You know, hey, Dad, what do you think about that? So that should go over well. And uh, Andrew Luck still not throwing. But Frank Wright, not worried at all. Why why should we be worried about it? Anyway, that's the news. Danny Kelly, at Danny B. Kelly on Twitter, of the ringer.com. Let's talk some Seahawks. All right, Danny, pumped to have you on the show. Talk a little Seahawks. Everything good with you, man?
1: Yeah, man, it's a, uh, it's. I mean, especially with the Seahawks, it's an interesting off season. A lot of different things happening. It's, it's, it feels like, uh, kind of how it felt like early on in in the Seahawks in the Pete Carroll era. Actually, kind of, they're resetting. they they're. they're taking a new approach at it kind of it's it's fun
0: all right well i mean let's dive right in and, and rip through six or seven or ten whatever it ends up being questions about the C- related <laughs> to the seahawks i mean the, the weird things about these podcasts and by the way people can follow danny at it's at danny b kelly right now yep, yep. okay because you were at fuel goals but now that you are at the ringer and people yeah. should read everything danny writes at the com if you're not already there they also do uh you know not not, not like you know, I read. Well, I mean, people read the Ringer anyway, and and I read the Ringer for for of course, you know, you and Kevin Clark and Robert Mays, the work you guys do in the NFL side. But I'm also a big uh, fan of the the TV stuff on the Ringer, like oh yeah, the Westworld recaps and Game of Thrones recaps, and the podcast there are very good. Are, are you into Westworld at all?
1: I haven't watched the second season yet. I know I've heard a lot of really good things about the recappables for for. uh Westworld though Danny Heifetz and I don't know who else they have doing it but I'm excited to start listening to that because I've heard from like three or four different people that's really
0: good I, I actually like the second season of Westworld better than the first season I think in a, oh, in a, in a weird way interesting yeah I, I won't divulge why because alerts and all that but um, so follow Danny <laughs> at Danny B Kelly at, you can – at Ringer is the handle for that, the theringer.com. And then the Ringer NFL show is a great podcast that alternates between Danny, Kevin, and Mays and Mike Lombardi and Tate Frazier for their GM yep. Street. Um, plenty of content on there. Great listen. Highly recommend you subscribe. Fill in the blank for me, Danny. This offseason, the Seahawks are going through a blank process.
1: So – I think I've been calling it a reset. I know a lot of people are calling it a rebuild, but the way that I've kind of been looking at it is like you don't rebuild when you've got a pro bowl slash all pro caliber quarterback and a couple of pro bowl slash all pro caliber players on defense and Bobby Wagner or Earl Thomas. I just don't think that's like necessarily rebuild, um, you know, style like I, they're oh. definitely resetting they're definitely kind of you know they they cut bait on a lot of guys that got rid of Michael Bennett Richard Sherman um, you know Cliff Averill is probably retired I think at this point and so it's just it, they're gonna look a lot different but I, I think it's a little bit much to call it a rebuild at this process at this point, just because they still have kind of that foundation.
0: And I think that John Schneider would agree with you, and may have even been asked at the combine if the Seahawks, like you know, what are you? How do you guys? How are you guys going to approach this rebuild? He's like, no, 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 do not <laughs> use that phrase. Not, not if you. I like my job. Don't you? get Because NFL fan bases and NFL bosses, whether it's you know, front offices, president, you know, presidents, owners, don't want to hear that a team is rebuilding cuz it's a yeah. hard sell to fans in a league where a team like the Rams can go from the the hellscape of Jeff Fisher ruining Jared <laughs> Goff to you know all of a sudden anything short of a Super Bowl in 2018 is you know is going to be disappointing and I think with the Seahawks yeah. too to me the Seahawks and I think I ended up taking. We'll get to this in a minute, but I ended up taking their under at eight games when I was doing my over mm-hmm. doing my over unders for this division. But it was tough because I think I think they're going to be better than people think, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. I, I guess my question to you is next: is what does this offense look like? Because Doug Baldwin is uh, Russell Wilson is cl- there. Russell Wilson's great. Doug Baldwin is still there, but by and large, the weapons are worse. Yeah. I'm not sure the offensive line is any good. I don't know that they upgraded an offensive coordinator, and I'm saying that very politely. <laughs> I, and, know, I was actually gonna say <laughs> something, but yeah, yeah. And and like the and the, the nicest thing you can say about Rashad Penny is that he's analytically incredible at breaking tackles <laughs> behind the line of scrimmage.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's probably going to be important, right? Yeah. Um, so I can kind of see what the Seahawks were doing there but I mean I mean really when you look at the some of the best Seahawks offenses over the last few years it was Marshawn Lynch was you know a big part of that because he was so good at breaking tackles like it almost made the Seahawks lines over the last few years even better than they were which they've never really been like they've never really had that good of a line it's always been what well, Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynch can do. So, you know, it kind of does actually make a little bit of sense that they'd go after Penny and, and use that first-round pick on him because it's it's something that they've been missing, that guy who can create on his own. Just, you know, they've been trying. They've been throwing as much stuff as they can at the offensive line. It just hasn't really worked out. I mean, people talk about how the Seahawks haven't invested in the offensive line. And in some on some level, it's true that they haven't, you know, monetarily necessarily invested in it, but they have thrown a ton of picks at it. Yeah. And... None of them have really panned out. I mean Justin Britt turned into a solid starter at center. Um, you know, Jermaine Fetti was their first rounder in 2016. He just hasn't panned out at all yet. We'll see what happens going forward. Ethan Postage, I don't know, you know, he he was off and on as a rookie I think you know if you look at his PFF numbers they were pretty bad but I think people are kind of still you know optimistic about him and so I don't know and and then obviously they traded well a third and something second and third maybe for Dwayne Brown I can't actually remember the trade details but you know they've given up a lot of draft capital to put that offensive line together and overall just hasn't been good so I think that's why People are not excited about Schottenheimer, but I think people are more excited about potential of what Mike Solari can do with the offensive line. Obviously, trading out Tom Cable and putting in a guy like Solari, I think people are kind of pinning some of their hopes on that going forward.
0: What do you – I mean, how do you give – how would you grade or rate or whatever, you know, for just – Analyze whatever it is, the coaching staff moves because you know they got rid of Chris <laughs> Richard, who played under Pete Carroll like like seven years ago. or something. I, mean, yeah, remember, yeah. I mean like within the last ten years, you know they got rid of Daryl Bevel, who's been a scapegoat, but they added Brian Schottenheimer, who, I, it, it, look, let me let's, I don't think Brian Schottenheimer listening to this podcast, so I don't care what we say <laughs> about it. I don't understand. I don't. I don't. I don't get that, and I don't. I mean, yeah. I'm surprised that people aren't more upset about it. I mean, I guess people just really hate Daryl Bevel over the Super Bowl 49. I mean, I can't – I mean, because Brian Schottenheimer is not the answer on offense, right? No. I mean, I
1: think when people – I actually came into the offseason. I think I tweeted it a while. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to hate all the Seahawks hires on you know their <laughs> coaching staff. And it turned out to be pretty correct. I mean, I don't necessarily – hate the Ken Norton signing, um, as their new defensive coordinator, I kind of get it. Like, I think he is, I don't know, for lack of a better term, kind of like the, uh, like a Pete Carroll staff sergeant or whatever, like a guy who's just going to go in and kind of like set the tone and, and he's really intense guy and he, he's got everyone on that defense's respect. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be kind of like this tactical genius or whatever. Like, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily what his role is. I think this is more Pete Carroll's defense anyway. And so, I don't know the Ken Norton thing. I think I was a little bit just kind of even. I, it didn't it didn't bother me, but it didn't excite me either. The Schottenheimer thing was just funny. Like, if you honestly, if you could have picked out a, a more uh, try and pick out a more underwhelming side <laughs> offensive coordinator, I dare you. Like, I can't think of I can't think of anyone I would have been like less excited about.
0: I mean, but, like think about it like this: the Panthers, who also don't have an offensive line, went out and hired. Ron Rivera's old boss and mentor, North Turner, who's one of the great offensive coordinators, but who predicates everything in his offense on deep drops. <laughs> like, yeah, right. And, 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 like, like, can't, like, can't, you know, and, and people are much higher on North Turner than they are on Brian Schottenheimer. And I mean, I guess, I guess you should be, but it, I, I, that's like the closest thing I can think of to an offensive coordinator higher that is as uninspiring as, yeah. as, as Schottenheimer. And, and, and look, I don't want to dog North Turner; he's got a long history. Brian Schottenheimer right. just has a good last name.
1: Yeah, what I was wondering how would you even explain like what would you how would you characterize Schottenheimer as a play card? like the biggest thing that comes to my mind is just dogged insistence on running which, <laughs>
0: yeah, yes. which I think
1: makes sense for Pete Carroll. But like, I mean, what else is, what else is there? I don't even know how to get excited about it because I don't know what, how else you would kind of characterize his style.
0: I mean, he was, I mean, he was the OC for Rex Ryan's jets. Was he there? Was he there before Rex? I think he was there before Rex got there. Maybe. I need to look, but I mean, he was, um, he was the OC for Rex's jets and I this coaching stuff. Let me see if was Rex there in 06. No way. Right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No so he was there with Mangini, and, and oh, then yeah. and then stuck around when Rex got there, and then stayed there to through 2011, and then jumped to the Rams where he worked mm-hmm. as Jeff Fisher's OC. And I don't want to, you know, I, I mentioned not wanting to put out spoilers for Westworld I don't want to put out spoilers for that Rams offense but uh, it wasn't good <laughs> I,
1: mean, I like, think that's yeah and that's the impression I think a lot of Seahawks fans got too is like we watched those Rams offenses man they were atrocious for years yeah and so I don't know it, it just to me it was like okay I, I, I don't get it and it's kind of just a strange thing but I think the more you've heard Pete Carroll talk about what he wants the Seahawks to be you know going forward it kind of makes some sense it's kind of like and I I, this is something I've been kind of saying over the last few weeks is it this is just Pete Carroll taking back the wheel like in terms of I think he feels like the Seahawks direction and identity and basically who they were got away from them a little bit over the last few years I mean they've been one of the most pass-heavy teams when you look at game scripts I think over the last few years they just and number part of that is because they can't run but you know it's just I think they're overly I think they got away from what Pete Carroll really really wants them to be and to me it's like this is him taking back complete control he fired basically his whole staff he wants to like reinstall, it's like reinstalling his whole program. It's like starting from, you know, uh, with your with your freshman class at UFC or USC, it's like starting over with a new class of, of guys. And so, um, yeah, I think he's just trying to, you know, reinstall the message, reinstall the identity of what he wants them to be. And, and that's why, again, it kind of feels like how it was when the Seahawks first started under Pete Carroll. Um, it's got that kind of feel to it and, and again it's not like a rebuild i you know obviously we kind of talked about that but because okay, there's okay, that so foundation but there's so, a little bit of that element to it no
0: no, no. i think i think you're 100 percent right and you hear richard sherman telling these stories about or not he, he points out that he's like oh pete carroll's stories got old we heard them too many times i mean i think there's some ch- There's some truth to that. Like Pete Carroll made his became a great coach when he was in college and he was able to ride this, you know, enthusiasm competition wave on a like you pointed out, like it's your freshman year of college. You you get these like you don't stay with one organization forever in college. You're there for two or right. three or four years and then you move on and so pete carroll's stories can't get stale i think it's important to note that the one human being who perfectly matches pete carroll's um like robotic enthusiasm and just benign or not benign banal i guess is actually the word benign doesn't yeah he says there banal like just like like i can't i love competition it's so amazing <laughs> is russell wilson like yeah he's like they're a perfect match so it makes sense for him to be the guy there but i mean what what do the seahawks want to be just a defensive team that doesn't make mistakes on offense and, and doesn't try to because yeah, know, they were 31st in rushing touchdowns last year 21st in rushing attempts last year and 16th in, in passing attempts and yeah, you know, i mean this is a team that that had become a russell wilson passing offense do you think russell yeah. wilson is on board with going back to the way it was before
1: that is a good question um because i think it's it's interesting. You know, I, Pete carroll has been saying this since the minute he got to Seattle. It's his philosophy of football, you know, offensive football overall is to take as much pressure off of the quarterback as possible. Um, you know, from building as, as many weapons around him and building an offensive line, having a very strong run game. I think those are all important things. He, he basically, you know, wants to be able to play. and win regardless of who they have at quarterback like if wilson got hurt he wants to still be able to win if it's raining and windy and 34 40 mile an hour winds he wants to still be able to play their game and not have to change anything if that makes any sense and so essentially it's like he wants to take as many variables out of the offense as possible and i think that means like limiting passing and running more because i think he views passing as a little bit more risky you know for turnovers and obviously we've heard him talk about turnover margin a hundred times over the last few years it's it's one of the biggest indicators of winning and losing and so um yeah i mean it's to me it's just about risk um management and that's kind of what i want i think he wants to get to now does that mesh with what russell wilson wants i don't necessarily think so but he is you know he's shown in the past that he can be one of the most efficient quarterbacks, you know, and just when he when he has that right mix of running and throwing. And so I think it does help him a little bit if, if he has that kind of balance. And so it is kind of a good thing for him, too. But I think he's also the kind of guy who would have no problem wanting to like put the offense on his back and like do it all. So I don't know if it necessarily meshes perfectly, but I think it is better for him in the long run.
0: Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because when Russell was in college at, and when he was at Wisconsin, well, I mean, to... When he was at NC State, he there was no running game whatsoever. Yeah. NC State's running game stunk and Pete Prisco was tweeting like, "Oh, look at Russell's completion percentage." It's like, "Well, that's cuz they had no running game and Russell had to I mean the offense was Russell Wilson. It looked up very similar to what Russell's been running the last 2 years." And then he gets to Wisconsin and he you know, he was I mean it's like you can point out that the offensive line and the running game helped him, but he is so lethal on pass action or play action yeah, down play the action. field, and you can almost see when I mean, it, you know, sometimes when you look at a depth chart and you try to figure out what's going on. Like I think if you look at, I don't know if you do, do you do that too? Like oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, okay. I'm just making sure I'm not crazy. <laughs> like I'll stare at the Seahawks depth chart. And I'm like, okay, I, I like I want to talk myself. I'm going to talk myself into this team being good on offense. And the way I do it is by believing that like Justin Britt takes a leap takes, you know, takes a, takes a big leap forward. And he looked like he Mm -hmm. could have done that, you know, the last two years, DJ Fluker, who is not, you know, a, a star by any stretch but was a former first round pick manages to fit in at, at right guard. Jermaine Fetti, you know, 2016 first round pick make, takes a leap. Uh, you poach it, you know, a second round pick from last year, you know, potentially takes a leap and then Dwayne Brown on the uh, anchoring the left side. And mm-hmm. if that offensive line is good somehow, then you can see a world where Doug Baldwin is, you know, picking up chunk yardage on play action cross routes and then Tyler Lockett and Jerome Brown are taking the top off down the field if yep. Rashad Penny's running the ball I mean like you can you can envision this offense I, I just have a hard time sw- like <clears throat> believing that that will actually come to fruition
1: <laughs> no I think you're absolutely right on though I mean in terms of like reading the tea leaves of rosters. And I think that's also why they got Ed Dixon this year too, is because Uh apparently, and I I haven't watched him, you know, individually a ton, but the kind of the scouting report on him is not a great run blocker, but an excellent pass blocking tight end. Yeah. And so they're almost looking at him like he's a six offensive lineman. Like they're, they're going to have him be that guy where they use the deep drop Plays on play action, you know, and try and have give Wilson like another half second to throw mm. those deep bombs because that's kind of what's been missing over the last few years. Um, there was a stat that I was floating around last week from Ben Baldwin at the Athletic of the Seahawks. Uh, Russell Wilson, since he came into the NFL, has had the I think it was the shortest time to pressure of any quarterback in the <laughs> NFL, like under two seconds. The most pressure is under two seconds, I think was the stat. Believe and it? so it's like, just give him another half a second and he can just pick you apart. And and I think that's kind of the goal. And so, yeah, I think, you know, you look at the Ed Dixon free agency signing, the Will Disley uh, pick in the fourth round, I think both of those guys are... Much more known for being blocking tight ends and like pass catching tight ends, and so
0: don't don't know if you know this, but Jimmy Graham not a huge blocker.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Okay. Speaking of trying to get back the wheel, like that that pick that trade was so strange. I mean, it was I I I understand probably why they were excited about it, and and in the end, he ended up being a good red zone target for him that final year. But yeah, that just didn't fit to me like the Pete Carroll first (laughs) philosophy of like you said, running the ball, throwing it over your head, and so. It's like a uh. fantasy.
0: It was like an I'm not. I, I mean, I, I was fine with the trade at the, I guess at the time. Did, did the Seahawks <laughs> give up a pick in that too? They gave up a pick, right?
1: For Graham, yeah, they gave him a first rounder They give
0: him a first rounder and Max Unger. Okay, the, the trade was terrible. And like yeah. Unger, like you're giving up, you're giving up like the guy who, like one of your best like run and pass like protection guys, and the guy who works directly with your quarterback to get him an, an absolutely unnecessary. way. That may have been. Do you, so? Do would you say get the wheel back? Do you think he's trying to get it back from John Schneider, or just sort of like make it hit? Like, all right, we got to get back to basics.
1: I don't think it's necessarily like it was. He had ceded control to Schneider. I'm sure he was, you know, integral in in the decision to to go get Graham. Go go get Graham. But I think just overall, I think his footprint was kind of fading from the Seahawks. Like, you know, they were, like you said, they were more pass heavy. They couldn't run the ball anymore. Um, I think there was they've talked about over the offseason, they've talked about this a lot. Like there's just too many voices in the locker room. And like mm. Russell Wilson was having to listen to Daryl Bevel, who was the passing game coordinator, essentially uh, Tom Cable, who was the running game coordinator. Then there was quarterback <laughs> coaches. And and basically they, they've streamlined it now where like Schottenheimer is the only guy that's going to be talking to Wilson. It's, it's so to me, I kind of just read that. Like there was just too many cooks in the kitchen and, and Pete Carroll lost his, um, you know, the, the team lost the Pete direct Carroll influence. DNA.
0: Yeah. 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 And
1: so I don't know, it, it's kind DNA's of, you know, that's word. kind of out there, but that's just kind of how it feels to me. Like p Carroll's like, if, if I'm going to, if we're going to, you know, get right the ship and go, go out my way, like I, I want to have the, have it be the team that I want it to be kind of thing. And so um, that's kind of how I see all this happening this year. And I think you're right on about the play action stuff. I think that's exactly what he wants to do um, on offense. And, you know, they went and traded for Marcus Johnson too, who, was part of that uh, Michael Bennett trade and no one's ever heard of this guy, but he's like four, you know, four, three speed and kind of, but that's kind of his, I think his role too is to be, take take the top off a defense kind of guy. And yeah, I mean, that's, sort of what they're trying to do I think.
0: All right, let's talk about the defense because I actually th- I actually think that when you look at this defense and same thing with the depth chart. I mean like I, I mean that's just that's just sort of I mean I use ourlads.com mm-hmm. anybody who that's what I'm looking at right now. Yeah, too. yeah, I mean like I mean <laughs> I was just going to plug him on the podcast cuz Dan Shanka does a great job. It's from I mean, it's a huge resource. I don't I don't know that I could functionally operate as an NFL writer without without their depth charts. I mean, like I, feel I look
1: like, at it every day. Yeah,
0: 100 percent, every single day, one team or another. Um, yeah, between that and Pro Football Reference and, and Pro Football mm-hmm. Focus, I mean, really, like, like what did what did guys do? No, I'm just kidding. What did guys do in the '80s and? and um, <laughs> but, but but I think when you look at this defense, and in particular the defensive line. I, you know i can i can kind of do the same thing that i do with the offenses talk myself into yeah mm-hmm. maybe maybe they're working with a little something here like i think Nazir Jones out of North Carolina who was a seventh 3rd round pick last year is a good mm-hmm. player Jerron Reed is just a big body in the middle i mean Alabama guy Frank Clark people get real worked up about because of his off field issues and that's fine, but he is a heck of a player. Um, Mm -hmm. Rasheem green is a third round pick that I didn't think at a USC who I didn't think should have fallen to the third round this past year. Deion Jordan has resurrected his career there. Um, You know, Kiki Mingo is also on the roster as a, I guess as (laughs) an outside linebacker, but I mean, I, I don't know. And then when you added Bobby Wagner and KJ, Wright, like that's not a terrible front seven, right?
1: No, I don't think so at all. I think, well, let me put it this way: I think their potential to be pretty good yes. like, is is definitely there. So, we'll just run through it. And, and you didn't even mention Tom Johnson, who apparently, you know, again, it's not like I, I I know a ton about Johnson yet. I'm I'm excited to watch him in the Seahawks uniform, but from from all the Viking fans I talked to, they were def, definitely disappointed to see him go. Like he was a, you know, pretty productive and tier pass rusher for them, and obviously a veteran and Seahawks excited to get him too so you know he's another guy to add into that list and um I was actually you know overall like I said the potential is there and and I was looking up the numbers on PFF for for Deion Jordan because I remember thinking oh well he was very efficient based on the number of snaps he got last year obviously he didn't play a ton but and I looked it up among four three defensive ends and I and I filtered it for literally all players in the NFL he was second in in pass rush productivity Obviously this was only on 61 snaps. So the the sample size is extremely tiny. But basically I think what the CX are expecting is this guy can he can produce not necessarily at that level, but you know, at a solid level over a full season now given given the amount of snaps that they give him. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like you have to project but jordan was very efficient with the number of snaps that he got last year and so i think that they're they're expecting him to do pretty well with it with a you know obviously they're going to give him a much bigger workload so he's a kind of he's the kind of guy who i think could probably surprise people this year um there's another guy brandon jackson who i don't even really know anything about either i've been watching the seahawks for years and (laughs) but he's another guy who you know he was pretty efficient with with a low number of snaps last year that's like kind of the story with their pass rushers and so you just hope it you hope it translates to a full season where these guys are able to you know kind of continue doing what they did in small spurts last year and do a bigger Bar- bark Mingo could be i see him as like they they found a guy who can do the bruce Irvin role for them mm. which is he's going to be a sam linebacker probably on base downs and then if they want him to every once in a while he can kind of like you know move up to the line and, and put his hand in the dirt and, and rush the passer and so rush, yeah I mean, he's not going to be like a star, but I think, you know, he'll be a solid. You know, role player for him. And so, yeah, th- there's some, you know, there's something there, obviously losing of huge names like Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill. You know, the idea is it's probably not going to be as good, but I think there's some guys that could step up and it could be, you know, they could be better than you think.
0: And, and I mean, the other thing too, we pointed out, you know, again, Richard Sherman complained that he heard all these stories from Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll in theory wants to get younger. I mean, not just so he can tell his stories to new guys, but like, <laughs> to you know, I mean, to cycle through the enthusiasm and the competition and the, and the, you know, the, the high energy level of khaki out there and the mm-hmm. you know but i mean like frank i mean frank clark i mean look if, if barquevious mingo and Dion jordan outside of what you know wagner and kj Wright or you know 2012 and 2011 guys but then mm-hmm. jordan and barquevious mingo are the old guys on that front seven you know aside from that in 2013 and then you basically have these younger guys and i think i think there's something to be said for that like Pete Carroll wants to have a – he doesn't want to have a, a group of entitled veterans who are coming in. And and, and to that point, Danny, I'd be curious. I did you hear Cliff Averill on Dave Damaschek? Yeah, yeah, okay. I saw that. If I was if I was worth a crap, I would have audio for it. Um, but people should be people should be listening to the Dave Dameshek football program. It's excellent. But basically, Cliff Averill was on the program with with Shaq and said, "Yeah, after Russell threw that pick to Malcolm Butler in Super Bowl forty nine, we all sort of everybody sort of." Turn not turn on Pete Carroll, but started, lost
1: confidence, lost you, trust.
0: Yeah, and it, it just it's like the it's the opposite of what is your boss Bill Simmons always references, um, uh, Pat Riley's line, the disease of disease of more. <laughs> It's like the disease of uh, uh, it's just, it was just like a, a literally a haunting loss, yeah. That that infected the team, and Seth Wickersham wrote about it a few years ago. I mean, it seems like th- I mean clearly, if Cliff Avril's saying it, it was all true, right?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think you know I don't know if. <sighs> I don't know if we've ever had real. I, I guess maybe it just depends on who it's coming from. But I don't know if we've never, if we've ever had actual confirmation from the players that it that that was real. I think probably Marshawn Lynch has alluded to it of bunch to Sherman too. Right. I'm sure that we've we've talked about this for years. But it was kind of like that was almost like the first time where you're like a, you know, player who hasn't really said anything about it before was like confirming that that kind of ruined the Seahawks. Which yeah. it was like wow. And but at the same time it was, you know, everybody could see it. You know what I mean? Like Seahawks fans could see it. Um, the team sort of just fell apart after that. It, it was kind of crazy. And so, you know, uh, the, the, the whole Falcons blowing the 28 to three lead, I think kind of like took some pressure off the Seahawks mm. for, for blowing that Super Bowl. But I mean, for a long time, for, you know, a year or two, it was like pretty much acknowledged as the worst, play in NFL history or something like close to that. And so um, that was something that the team kind of had to live with and and it ruined. I don't know if ruined is the right word, but it it robbed them of what could have been an amazing legacy, the Seahawks and, and what could have been you know, another run at a Super Bowl and things like that. Like if you if you think about it, the Seahawks would have had they would have won their second straight Super Bowl, assuming that yeah. nothing happened after that that Brady didn't somehow know nah,
0: if they punch it in, they win that Super Bowl.
1: Yeah. And so the Seahawks in five or 10 years from now, we'd look back as at Pete Carroll as an architect of the teams that beat Manning and Brady and back to back Super Bowls. Wow. And I mean, it's like, man, you, that was like you talk about dynasty Manning and Brady in back-to-back Super Bowls. That that's that's the Seahawks defense that could have been, but that play you know, derailed that whole narrative or, or l- legacy or whatever, and, and it kind of just unraveled from there. And so, um, man, it, it's definitely a fascinating just big picture look at it, like how, how one play can kind of change the fortunes of everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you, know, we were like, it's a game of inches. But, I mean, it really is a game of <laughs> inches. Really like that one play, and, and I think the other thing that sort of obscured it, you're spot on about the Falcons getting the Seahawks off the hook, but I think the other thing that kind of helped – Seattle, you know, because all these think pieces were happening and in the offseason we'd wonder about Richard Sherman's future and we'd wonder about the, you know, if things were falling apart and Richard Sherman and whoever else would deny that it was happening and Russell would take everybody up onto a Hawaiian mountaintop and all all that (laughs) crap. But like, the Seahawks won 29 games in the next three years after that, which also helps to obscure any concerns. But, you know, this is a team that had won 11, 13, and 12 and then to, you know, quote-unquote just go 10, 10, and 9. You know, that's Mm -hmm. just how it works in the NFL but, you know, they lost the division to the Cardinals who were rising up and they just didn't have that same sort of... So for lack of a better word, swagger. Like it just didn't it didn't right. it didn't feel like they were the Seahawks who nobody believed in. They felt like they were the Seahawks who didn't trust themselves because there was too much internal conflict or something. And and you're right, yeah. Cliff Avril said that they would have won another Super Bowl, meaning a third Super Bowl in four years had they punched that ball, had they punched that in. And then then we're talking about, you know, you take away maybe Two rings from Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And we're like, I mean, Pete Carroll is, I don't know, I don't know you're, it's crazy. It's, it's, the yeah. what if is nuts.
1: No, I think it, it's insane. It's like the, the butterfly effect or whatever. It's like, yeah. Um, because Pete Carroll for a couple of years too, it was like he was unassailable. He was untouchable. He was a f- football god in Seattle. Yeah. Um, and now, I'm not saying that people don't like him now, but I think there's a lot of people who are kind of like questioning, <laughs> like, wait, maybe he just got lucky with like having a bunch of all pros. Like maybe he isn't actually this genius that we all thought he was. And so uh, I don't know. I mean, I've, I I really like Pete Carroll still in ter- terms of kind of his, you know, football beliefs and philosophy and everything like that. I think it's, it's, I think it, well, let me say this. I think it's really important to have a very strong philosophy and identity that you strive for. And it's like written down and you actually, you know, go for it. I think it's important to do all that, but I think it's definitely kind of one of those things where people are losing a little bit of faith in him and and it all stems from, you know, that that one play, I think.
0: I I think you're 100 percent right. I also think that Pete Carroll, and I'm not the first person to notice this, but you know there's been a lot of attention paid to the 49ers and the Rams this off season. And if you if you were at the uh, you know, you were the combine, so you might have noticed this too in terms of the press conferences. But I, I wasn't there. I was at the but I was at the owners meetings, and it's like Pete Carroll was sitting with like Bob Condotta and and yeah. like and like Mike Sando for you know what I mean like there's nobody there. And then, and then like Sean McVay is surrounded by like 72 national reporters and Kyle Shanahan's is getting the same deal. And I have to think that that eats at Pete Carroll. It not, not in a, <laughs> not in a, this is so disrespectful to me kind of way, but uh, all right, I'm going to, I'm like, chew, I'm chewing my gum and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm peeved off. I'm peeved off Russell. I'm telling you like, like, all right, that's cool. That's cool. Let's compete. You know I mean? Something like that.
1: Oh yeah. No, I think that's absolutely spot on. I uh, mean, you know, it's funny because he, he gives kind of this, like, I don't care attitude sometimes. Like but he like cares. Said, <laughs> but he absolutely cares. I think there's vanity there. And that's, I mean, every football coach probably has that. it's, like, it's how you get to that level, like, incredible competitive and, like, whatever, doggy dog style. But, oh, yeah, I think this is killing him. And I think, you know, it's kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. But, like, I think having, like, having no run game last year, the Seahawks literally, you said they finished, what, 31st in rushing
0: touchdowns? Uh, touchdowns, yeah, yeah.
1: But really, three of those were Russell Wilson. They had one Ooh. rushing touchdown from a running back last year. And so I think that just killed him. <laughs> you know, that's just eating, up, eating him up inside. And yeah. so I think you know that's why you see kind of uh, what they've done over the offseason. Uh, you know, the Seahawks are going to run the ball next year. I think there's no doubt about it.
0: Um, all right. Let's get to a little bit bigger picture stuff when it comes to the division. rank. Okay. This is a hard, um, this is tough. This is tough. Okay. So I, I, I've- Clearly, I gave Danny the, the questions ahead of time because I'm not. Yeah. My bo- my bosses who who know me and have known me for like the better part of a decade are, are absolutely floored that I am able to provide ahead of time any sort of uh, rundown <laughs> and agenda. Yeah, like Rosenthal yesterday was like, "Whoa!" He's like, "I can't." He's like, "I can't." I mean, Rosenthal's not my boss, but he I sent him a, a list, you know, the same way I did for you, like, you know, ten minutes before the podcast. But it, right. was, it was like, he's like, "Wow!" All right, all right, we're really prepared here. I was like, "I don't don't read too much into it." <laughs> But the 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 question in this case that I wanted Danny to to answer, or where I want you to answer, Danny is, rank. Can you rank the NFC West quarterbacks for 2018, mm. and then also rank them? This being Russell Wilson, Jared Goff, um, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Sam Brozen, if you will. <laughs> um, yeah. You can, and, and then rank them for five years from now. Who? How would you take them, and in, in what order? Oh Gosh, you, I can give. Do you want me to do me give mine while um? While, yeah, while sure. You think let's about let's it?
1: hear. What, I want to hear what you got about this. Okay, so
0: for next year, I would take Russell Wilson one, Jimmy Garoppolo two, Jared Goff three, and Sam Rosen four. And <laughs> and I'm only doing that because I'm. I don't. I don't want to throw a rookie into the fray if I can help it. Mm-hmm. But I don't trust Sam Bradford to be healthy for 16 games. Yep. Um, and for five years, I would take one Jimmy Garoppolo, two Josh Rosen, th- how ooh, three Jared Goff, and four Russell Wilson. Because five. Really? I just. I just. Russell's older, and I don't. I mean, Russell is gonna be 30, right? Isn't he about to be 30? Am I crazy? Uh, let me check. On, I, take, I can't remember. <laughs> but
1: yeah, gonna, that's actually really fascinating he's because gonna, I thought he's
0: going to turn thirty in the middle of this season, which means five mm-hmm. years from now he's going to be thirty-five, and he's a quarterback who has predicated a large part of his career on running the ball. Right. So I mean, I don't want to say I'm not saying that Russell will be the worst quarterback in the division in five years. I just think that he is the old. He's the oldest, and so I believe if you're,
1: that, bu- if you're building a team for like year five in mind or whatever, exactly, that's kind of like how exactly. you're looking at
0: it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, first of all, for
1: year one, I w- I'm on the same page as you. Um, that same ranking: Wilson, Garoppolo, Goff, uh, Rosen, Goff, Rosen, or Brad. <laughs> yeah. um, the five-year thing is a lot harder. I had, I think, I would have Wilson higher um, simply because he's m- more of a known quantity. Yeah, and I do think he's going to be good enough to I don't think he's going to have to run his whole career I think he he takes such good care of his body I mean he hasn't he's missed like zero practices in yeah. his career
0: and he's so, and, so, and he's so good about avoiding contact even when he does have to run
1: exactly so I think he's going to have longevity in the league even if he can't continue to run forever um,
0: okay let me let me ask you this a different way um, this is this is the better way to do it as a, you're a Seahawks fan and, but you're but you're not you're not a Seahawks fan. You're you're John Schneider. Right. Danny Kelly, you're in charge of the you're in charge of the Seahawks, and I am opposing NFC West GMs. First I will be Steve Kime and I'm gonna call you and offer you straight up Josh Rosen for Russell Wilson. What do you say? I would say no. Okay. Uh, I think
1: well now I'm less and I like and I like Rosen. Yeah but I still would say no. Although it's an, it's an interesting discussion too, because then you can make the argument like you got Rosen on five years of cost controlled you know, first yep. rookie contract or whatever. And so that's a big factor too.
0: But you have to figure if he's any good, he's going to, in five years, he'll be getting paid on an extension. You know, like if he's any good, he'll get that extension after the third year, like Derek Carr. All right. I'm less Sneed uh, and I'm offering you Jared Goff for Russell Wilson. no, OK, that's that's that seems more fair. I think golf. Yeah, I think I would actually flip. I would I don't remember what my order was now, but I would go Garoppolo. Would you take Garoppolo for Russell Wilson? Oh,
1: I would. That would. That's probably the hardest one. I think I I would think about it. He's 26. He's, old. he's not that obviously looked amazing last year. Again, it's he's not a known quantity, though. But yeah, Um. but yeah, that would be the one I would think about the most I would put, put it that way.
0: I might be, I, I might be underselling Russell Wilson here in five years.
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's the big question, obviously. Um, I personally think that Wilson can play in a system where he doesn't have to run and where he's just a pocket quarterback. Um, of course, you can. know, quote pocket quarterback. It's like kind of the same deal as like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, look at Rodgers. He's, he's not a quote running quarterback, but he still makes a ton of plays outside the pocket. Like that's his specialty. And I, I can see Russell Wilson kind of taking the same tack. And, and and frankly, I don't see him fading until he's probably like 36, 37. And so, I mean, you're talking like seven more years of, of Russell Wilson quality play. And again, I don't think necessarily Wilson's like one of the best quarterback. Like, I don't think I think he's probably somewhere in like the top seven quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, I don't know where you want to put him. Right. But. I don't you know, I don't think he's necessarily the best guy, but he's also a much more known quantity than any of those, those those other guys. I think obviously we don't have any idea what Rosen's going to be. Yeah. Um, Garoppolo's have has like a half a season of being a legit starter. If that. And he, yeah. And so I don't know. It, it's definitely interesting. I think it, the contract thing is kind of what would make me think about Rosen is just having that cost controlled rookie contract quarterback and what you could do with that.
0: All right. Well, let's and we'll, we got to do this some quickly, so I don't hit the magical forty number mark. It's my fault for keeping it long. But where, oh, okay, yeah, where does Russell Wilson play football in twenty twenty?
1: I'm still gonna go with Seattle. I still can't see. I the Seahawks fans talk about this all the time because I think they know and recognize the Seahawks did so well early on in the Pete Carroll era because Wilson was playing on that 500k a year contract. Yep, I think people are a hundred percent aware of that. And so I think there's a lot of people that think that the Seahawks will let Russell Wilson go. I still cannot, I just can't see a team, any team in the NFL really without any backup plan, letting a top tier
0: quarterback leave. I think you're right. So, it'd be it'd be insane. It'd be insane to let Russell Wilson walk out that door and then all of a yeah. sudden you don't have a quarterback. So you at the very least have to franchise tag him for the next two years. Yeah. Even if yeah. you can't work out a long term deal. All right, let's get out of uh, sorry, we'll get you out of here. That way I can actually be under the forty minute mark. And since my son <laughs> is storming into the office, uh, <laughs> at Danny B. Kelly on Twitter. Read him at TheRinger.com and check out The Ringer NFL Show with Danny, Robert Mays, and Kevin Clark. Thanks, man. A, a blast having you on.
1: Absolutely. Anytime.